people have used this music for so long and it's the only thing that's helped for their dog. I think that's what's key from our approach is just to genuinely be human and not corporate. And I think it works. There's a lot of ego attached to building a unicorn. Everyone wants to build a unicorn. But why? From the first-time founders to the funds that back them, innovation needs different. Our episode partner, HSBC Innovation Banking, is proud to accelerate growth for tech and life science businesses, creating meaningful connections and opening up a world of opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Discover more at www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com en gb. Hello and welcome to the UK TN podcast, a weekly chat with the movers and shakers of the UK tech industry and the destination for all things UK tech related. And this week I'm joined by Armin Ahmed. Welcome, Armin. Thank you for having me. Now, you offer a startup called Music for Pets, which I'm assuming does what it says on the tin, and we'll hear more about your story. But first of all, I'm going to try and do a little bit of experiment, and I'm joined by a guest star today who is smudge my black and white cat they say never work with animals or cats but we're going to attempt to do that and i'm going to play smudge some relaxing music from music from pets and see what he makes of it so i'm just going to go and collect him from the door where he's angrily waiting to go out and is completely confused as to what he's doing (laughs) uh he did actually appear in some radio on on the bbc so he's a veteran so we should know better but let's get the music playing think smudge <laughs> cats are difficult though he's not trying to escape he seems to quite like it oh now now he's trying to go well there we go oh, he, he he seems quite like that so classical music is cats things is it would you say um yeah i'd say like obviously we're always just experimenting with different sounds and um as we continue to grow with our user base, we always experiment with like different genres. Um, I think recently it'll be like jazz or bossa nova that we're trying. So yeah. Well, I mean, it's a very unscientific experiment, but he didn't run away. He did sort of listen for a few seconds. Obviously, this is a huge thing, and I think we'll just. I'm just going to let you tell the story of how music for for pets came into being. God, yeah, so it's a bit of an interesting story with many layers to it. It was something that I was experimenting anyway with uh, sounds and music sounds purely for humans to help them relax and focus, and um, and then eventually, you know managed to find a music producer in El Salvador of all places. We just started working together, you know, putting money and uh, putting music on YouTube and then started making a bit of money from there. And then eventually over time, we then, you know, kind of because his dog and cat had anxiety and a few and my friends and close like cousins and all that stuff where their pets had anxiety. Uh, so, and there was some basic research around music and 
music therapy and pets. And then, you know, there wasn't much in the field, like, but we thought, let's just give it a shot and go from there. But it was always a side hustle. And it seemed that, you know, giving it a shot seemed to pay off in dividends because on the YouTube channel and, and the, the music that I was playing to smudge there came from the YouTube channel. You've got a lot of subscribers, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So I guess in terms of unique users rather than subscribers, I think last time we checked, we had about 50 million unique pet users around the world on Relax My Dog and Relax My Cat and a few of our other channels that we have as well combined. So yeah, a lot of pets consuming our content. So I mean, you've talked about cats and dogs. What about other pets do what do snakes listen to i i actually read the other day in the daily mail that hamsters like hip-hop i don't know if you can confirm that <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting there's like loads of different areas obviously yeah we have experimented with music for hamsters guinea pigs rabbits yeah it seems to work like um it's just different frequencies different types of music but it's all experimental and then the biggest thing is like we care about our user base and our user base pretty much tells us like what works what doesn't work and we just try to gather as much data as possible. And that's the approach we've taken from day one. Listen to your users rather than experimenting. Now, that's an interesting question about users because are the users the pets or are they the pet owners? Because is this just a, something that pet owners see as being a way of making them feel less guilty if they leave their pets on their own? Or is it really about the animals themselves? Well, a lot of pet owners will actually just try it for like an hour, half an hour or so and so to see the reaction that it has on their pet. And then like, okay, this is doing something so I can leave this on for like eight hours or 10 hours or whatever. So yeah, people, I, I doubt people just press play and just leave. <laughs> they, they first, I think they first want to see if it's working or not before they do that. The numbers that you mentioned earlier of subscribers or unique listeners that's figures that anybody would be really proud to have. And I understand that you've done that with very little marketing. So what's the secret? You know, how have you built this audience? I think for us, it was just literally influencer marketing in a sense that just reaching out to influencers. But I think also just also your fan base, you know, having genuine conversations like from from the outside, it doesn't look scalable. Like my team would set up meetings half an hour with a user, with a user, with like, it's not really a scalable approach, but with time, you know, just showing that you care about your users, it means so much and it goes so far. And then that's just like through word of mouth, you just, you explode. And it's just open questions, like genuinely just caring. Like, I don't know if you comment on, for say, for example, Adidas or whoever it is on their Facebook page, and be like, oh, these traders are crap or whatever it is. They're not really going to reply. Or they're like, oh, you know, contact, support, or whatever it is, etc. It's a very, like, formal thing where it's like we would, like, engage in genuine, like, human conversation. It would, there'd be no formality. And we try to reflect in their language and have a bit of banter or a bit of cheeky banter or whatever it is. But I think that's what's key from our approach is just to genuinely be human and not corporate. And I think it works. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because now lots of people are trying to automate things and, and limit the human conversation. But you would say, you know, you absolutely need that human interaction. How do you kind of move that to a company that perhaps is not a tiny company and 
and doesn't have the time, like you say, to sit around answering queries all the time, but still wants to have that kind of human element involved. I know it's obviously it's not scalable in any way, but for us, we personally will just, you know, you can have AI, et cetera, et cetera. The most frustrating thing ever is then chatting to AI, especially when it says you're chatting to a bot. Like, think about a psychological that this is so annoying. I was going to do everything until it connects me to a human or when you're on support or anything like that. So for us, we would just hire like a bunch of VAs and all this stuff. I just literally just work on interacting with the audience. And I think that's so important, especially in this world of automation, is to have that human connection. And I think it's it's a fine balance because obviously as a business, you need to scale, you need to automate as much as you can as well. But for us, it's just how do we stay as human as possible as we grow? HSBC Innovation Banking, our partner for this episode, provides commercial banking services, expertise and insights to the technology, life science and healthcare, private equity and venture capital industries. To find out why innovation needs different, go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb. Just talk to me a little bit more about your founder's story because, you know, it's not necessarily the same route that other people take. You didn't have a great deal of external investment, or if any. So, you know, how, how did you do, how did you do it and what, what would your advice be to other founders? So for me, obviously, like as this was a side hustle, I did have another business, which was my idea as well, which was kind of like the music discovery. It was basically like Tinder, but for music discovery, it allowed you to build a playlist like super quick. We raised VC money, angel money, all that stuff. You know, it was my company. I founded it with co-founders, etc. And it was just one of those businesses that wanted to continue to, you know, scale through users and, and everything. But I relaxed my dog and relaxed my cat was a side hustle. But I got to see both sides of the coin in a sense of like being a, a VC-backed founder and also like having a side hustle at the same time. What it made me realize, firstly, I think with anyone as a founder is firstly, what type of founder do you want to be? What type of lifestyle do you want? And I could have scaled this music discovery app, maybe it's a hundred million dollar company or whatever it was. Or I could have built, you know, relax my dog, relax my cat to a multi-million pound company, but have lifestyle freedom, do what I want, you know, have profitability etc so it was kind of like what type of lifestyle of the founder do you want uh to be and i think that was the first question you want to ask yourself as a founder and there's a lot of ego attached to building a unicorn everyone wants to build a unicorn um but why that's just your ego right like would you genuinely be happy making a million pounds a year in profit and not having to answer to anyone. So it, that's just the, the the approach that I took. And I think that's why that business didn't work out. And that's the other thing when you have VCs, like it just slows things down. You can't make decisions. You have to have board meetings, etc. Whereas with this, it was 100% owned. I took it to profitability very quickly. And I was kind of forced to take it to profitability because, you know, imagine pitching to investors anyway about relaxing music and tv for dogs you're going to get laughed at so what's the point even 
like doing that. So I was kind of forced to go to profitability and then just scale from there. Like I never had, I never had the intention to be acquired. My intention was to take my EBITDA, my profits into the seven figures. That was it, which I did. And then the acquisition came. <laughs> well, it come, it did. <laughs> and let, let's talk about that acquisition by Create Music. You know, how did it come about in the first place? And I don't know if you can talk about, you know, the, the amounts of money that are involved, but presumably this has changed the nature of the company exponentially. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the acquisition, to be honest, the business my money was making any, like the money that was coming out of my business anyway, was already life-changing enough. And obviously, the acquisition was huge. It was cherry on top type of thing but so the, it, how it happened actually it was just a random email that actually went into my junk and it was so weird because something just in my intuition was like just check your junk and I, you know every so often I check my junk and I scanned through an email I was so close to pressing delete but then I went to the footer and I was like oh that looks familiar and it was from a company that they had already acquired which was a huge like trap music channel and I thought, okay, how is trap music and dog music going to work? But okay, let's just entertain this. And they were owned by Create Music Group. And then obviously I got over like a random like LinkedIn connection as well. And I didn't realize that they also owned the agency. So there's two companies that were owned by Create Music Group. So, And then the conversation just went straight to the top, like very quick. And at first it was a bit confusing because... You look at the artists that they have on a roster, it's all like hip hop artists. Some of them were like super controversial. You know, some of them have been in the news recently, some very controversial stuff. So I thought, oh, how's this going to work? But then eventually, you know, I went out to Hollywood, to the offices in Hollywood and got to know them. And I thought, yeah, this, this is actually probably a very good home for the business. And they just made sense. And I had other offers on the table as well. So it kind of allowed me to assess who I wanted to work with. And how did they kind of approach this slightly unexpected kind of turn for them? You know, this is not what they usually do. What was their interest in this particular kind of area? Was it because you had a fan base and a user base or did they genuinely want to sort of move into the idea of a new audience, i.e. pets? (laughs) Yeah, so obviously they're obsessed with their pets. They're obsessed with their dogs. Every, pretty much everyone in the in the office is obsessed with the dog. So there's some genuine passion there. And they had already been using our YouTube channels for like years, actually, uh, beforehand. So they were already fans of the product and users of the product. And I think, you know, it was just more of a, a music business decision as well that we had built a very, we had basically built a cash cow business that could easily be handed over and also the fact that for them, it was just diversification as well in different genres of music. So, and they also had entities that were in the pet space, like loads of big social media pages and all that stuff. So there's a lot of synergy. So yeah, it, it just made sense. And, you know, it was just compared to the other offers, these guys were just young guys, you know, they've built like a huge massive like record label basically and it was it was a vibe in the sense that we just got on they were not they were not corporate they were not in suits it made sense 
it made sense. And and lots of dogs in the office. So if you were if you were going to kind of give advice to people that were thinking of going down this acquisition route, I guess the first thing would be always check your junk mail. Uh, but what else yeah. would you say is kind of the key things to think about? Because you know this is big a, a scary thing, isn't it? If you've built up a company and you're passionate about it, and you know it's doing very well, thank you. Why make that jump if if you know everything's going fairly well? What 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 is it? that you would say that you need to think about for anybody considering going down the acquisition route? Because you don't know the full story about the people that are going to acquire you, do you, before you do it? You've got to sort of go, I guess, slightly on gut gut instinct, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it's on gut instincts, but also like I think, you know, before you start a, a business, it's kind of like if you buy stocks and shares, like if you're going to buy a stock, always have your exit price. And it's, and it's the funny thing is like... People think, oh, I'm making good money. I can continue to make more and more money, etc. But what is happening is like that's just greed kicking in, and eventually you'll fail and you end up sending selling a distressed asset. That's generally what happens. So always have your like exit price from the start, and then just make sure everything's in order. Your tax structure is always in order. You know your accounting history, etc. Like always build your business in a way that outside eyes are looking on it, including like HMRC or whoever it is, because yeah, you just need to make sure everything's so tight and so clean. Because even my M&A guy who did the acquisition goes, Aman, you built a very, very clean business. Like it's practically just be handed over on a plate. But also from a founder's perspective, make sure you build a business where every human in the business is replaceable, including you, the founder, the CEO, you need to make sure you're replaceable. And you need to make sure every employee is replaceable, as savage as it sounds. And now, you know, there's the promise of quite a lot of investment in this space. How's that money going to be spent? You know, you, what, what more are you going to do with this particular enterprise? I think that's, you know, something we're still working out. It's only been like four months since the acquisition. There's a lot of integration going on, but it'll be, it'll just purely be down to scale and growth. And I guess some of it's confidential of how it's going to be spent, but it is, it's just how do we grow quicker? That's it. Yeah. Like I said, they, they did that acquisition and now they want to continue. They have like big, big ambitions and big goals. I think it's exciting, their vision for how we're going to scale. And what about for you personally? Have you got any new ventures planned? I think, like I said, you know, after four months after the acquisition right now, I'm pretty much still decompressing. And maybe I'll start angel investing or doing SCIS or something like that next year. So right now I'm just building a network, see what companies are out there. And then, you know, maybe I'll do some angel investing. But for now, literally no plans, just living in the moment, enjoying it for now. Now we started with the music and Smart She was, well, kind of not totally unimpressed, which is probably the most you can ever ask for from a cat. But I'm sure you've got some uh, some great anecdotes about how different things that, that that have happened to pets and pet owners as a result of using this platform. So, so let's share some of those. Yeah, so many stories that like people that have tried so many products for their pet, you know, and then used our music as the last resort, and it's helped with their anxiety. Even stories all the way to the point where people have used this used this music for so long, and it's the only thing that's helped for their dog to the point where their dog you know, passed away. And we'd get emails saying, oh, you know, this music 
was the only thing that helped my dog throughout all these years. Can I use it to remember my dog? Can I use it at a funeral? So when you hear stories like that, you're like, wow, that how deeply integrated this was into the life of the dog and the owner to be asked to use that music at the funeral. That does bring it home, doesn't it? Yeah, and people do love their yeah. pets. Well, I'm definitely going to go and get Smudge again and get him to listen to some more classical music because uh, I think he's only just touched the surface of, of, of what it can do. But that's all we have time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast. Thank you to my guest, Aman. A great discussion, I think. And thank you to everyone who's listening and including their pets if they've got them listening too. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also get in touch with me with your comments and suggestions about the show. But until next time, it's goodbye from me. This podcast is brought to you by HSBC Innovation Banking, the power behind the UK's forward thinkers, future makers and leap takers. They're helping to ignite the bold ideas that reshape our world. Go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb to find out how innovation needs different. 